to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast is always up to speed with Formula One brought to you by the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here welcoming you on board to the first preseason testing episode of the year. Yes, Formula One is back. The cars have been testing for the past couple of days in Barcelona. So that means that we are now officially less than a month away from the start of the new season. I think uh, just like the rest of you, I cannot uh, wait to get started and uh, glad to see all the cars out there. And boy, I'm loving the looks of uh, some of the new cars that have uh, been released. Well, they're all out now. They've all had their official launches. Not all of them have made it to the track on time, but uh, more on that uh, in a moment. I'd have to say, I think out of all of them, I think the the Ferrari with that black and red and that matte colored paint job looks great. Uh, the Haas looks uh, outstanding with that black and uh, and gold, very reminiscent, of course, of the uh, the John Player special sponsored Lotuses from way back in the day. But they all look uh, look pretty cool. Red Bull, of course, a very nice car. Mercedes, pretty uh, similar to the the, the livery and paint uh, schemes that they've had for the past uh, number of years. But um, they they look good. Ultimately, it comes down not to what's painted on the side of the car but what's underneath the hood and how these cars handle and how quick they are how reliable they are and uh, we will know soon enough because preseason testing as uh, as is as exciting as it is to watch and as fun as it is to see and kind of keep an eye on the time, it really is just a, an opportunity for all the teams around um, the, the, the paddock to really test out the cars, shake them down, run them in different um, specifications, uh, different fuel loads, different tire compounds, and just uh, try them in different scenarios. So we can't really put too much weight into the times, uh, although we, we will talk about uh, some of the times and uh, some of the, uh, the the pieces of news coming out from testing, but uh, it's great to see that they're finally back. But there's a lot of news out there this week, as you might expect, what with the season ramping up and, and soon to get away uh, underway uh, shortly. And uh, well, starting off uh, right from the very uh, bat, uh, today is uh, Wednesday, February 20th, or the last few hours and minutes thereof here on the west coast of Canada. Anyways, day three, Danny Kvyat in the Toro Rosso set the fastest time of the day with a 117.704, which was uh, slightly uh, faster than Kimi Raikkonen in the Alfa Romeo, who set a, a time of 117.762. And Danny Ricardo rounded out the top three for Wednesday, Wednesday's testing in the Renault, setting a time of 118.164. Of course, the, 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 the first two days were dominated by Sebastian. Sebastian Vettel and uh, Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, and uh, they were setting some very good uh, time. Charles set it, uh, the fastest time on Tuesday of uh, a 118.247, which was about a tenth of a second slower than Sebastian's best effort on uh, on Monday. Uh, both of the drivers were using the same compound tire, which is a C3. And that that's another thing. We have to get used to a, a whole new naming convention for the tire compounds this year, but I guess we're all in the same boat and we will persevere and overcome together. <laughs> Anyways, moving along from the from the Cordy jokes and uh, the opening day, uh, of course, Sebastian Vettel was uh, was fastest and uh, he um, called the, the the session basically near perfect. And uh, they, uh, they, they really have impressed us so far. And of course, uh, Sebastian, uh, he set a time of 118.161 set with 169 laps in the bag 
And Carlos Sainz on Monday set the second fastest time of a 1 minute 18.558 for 119 total laps on a C4. And then Rogro, Roman Grosjean and the Haas setting the third fastest time on Monday at the 119.159, 65 laps run on the C3 tire compound. So let, let's put that a, a little bit into context. Uh, I've got the, uh, the the times here from last year, fastest lap of the race at the 2018 Spanish Grand Prix at Barcelona was a 118.441 uh, set by Danny Ricardo in the Red Bull Renault. And uh, just looking at the, the qualifying times <clears throat> excuse me the qualifying times for last year at the spanish grand prix well of course they get uh, faster each and every session and uh, the the times for lewis hamilton who was on pole last year his q1 time was a 117.66 sorry a 633 q2 time 117.166 and a q3 a very very impressive 116.1 seven three seconds so uh, they're they're definitely pushing those times down a little bit and getting close to lewis's uh, or closer to lewis's um uh, q3 time from the spanish grand prix last year but uh, interesting to see how the ca- the cars are doing and the times that they're setting so far uh, i mean it was only about a week or so ago when they were making some projections that uh, the cars could be up to one and a half seconds slower with these uh, new front wings which you know honestly they don't look the greatest <laughs> And there's been a fair amount of criticism that have come out over the recent weeks and months from drivers to people, technical people in the teams, pundits, fans. Basically, everybody's had their two cents in this conversation, this discussion. I'm not crazy about them. Hopefully... They do what they're intended to do, and that's to improve the airflow around the cars and uh, provide for better racing and closer racing and hopefully more passing opportunities. If that is what they deliver and it does promote more passing in Formula One this year, then, hey, I guess we can just overlook the fact that they look a little bit ugly compared to the wings of the past. And that's just maybe one of those necessary evils that we have to put up with with uh, with Formula One uh, just because it's more exciting. And if uh, there's more uh, action on the track. I guess that's uh, what it's all about. Now, there's an interesting story that came out uh, from Lawrence Edmondson, the F1 editor at ESPN uh, Formula One, and it was uh, he was uh, asking, should Ferrari's rivals be worried by Sebastian Vettel's strong start? And, well, yes, I, th- I think that um, that the teams should be. Uh, maybe not uh, so much from the, the, the times that uh, Vettel and Charles Leclerc have been setting over the, the first couple of days of testing, but it looks at, uh, as though, at least uh, through the first uh, half a week, of the new season that Ferrari has come back after what was obviously a crushing defeat for both uh, Vettel personally and the team last year, losing again to Mercedes in both the Drivers' and World uh, Constructors' Championships, that uh, they've come back over the winter break focused and with uh, Mattia Bonotto as uh, the new team principal, basically cutting out the middleman. He's uh, the guy that's really been credited with uh, the revival and the uh, the, the good fortune and the competitiveness that uh, Ferrari's enjoyed and it has increased slightly each and every year over the past several years now that uh, Maurizio Arriva Benny is out of the picture and no longer at Ferrari uh, Bonato is basically he is the top guy of course so he can basically implement everything and uh, and really run the team as he si- sees fit and uh, Sebastian uh, Sebastian Vettel obviously he seems to uh, be in a better headspace than he was uh, at the end of last year and of course uh, I mean I've been very critical about him and as, as I've said uh, previously if you're a four-time world champion 
champion and you make mistakes, you're going to get called out for it on this program. However, the the one thing that uh, that that we should say to be uh, to fair to him was uh, despite the mistakes that uh, he made at times, just as many times he was let down by the uh, his team, and I think that uh, they they really need to get uh, behind him. They need to get behind each other if they're really going to make a uh, a real run at knocking Mercedes off the uh, the top spot this year. And uh, at least uh, in early days here, it looks like that they could have the equipment and the car to do it. They certainly have uh, a couple of drivers that should be uh, capable of uh, winning races. We know Vettel can win. He's a four-time world champion, obviously. And Charles Leclerc has been uh, dubbed the next big thing, more or less. So between the two of them, and hopefully the the, the two of them pushing and motivating each other to uh, greater heights and, uh, and, and, and better results this year, it could only be a, a good thing for Ferrari. And I was really thinking about it. Um, you know, I had a message from somebody saying, oh, you're way too biased and way too critical of Sebastian Vettel. It's been a, a, l- a little bit too unfair. Okay, fair enough. I can I can take that point. But uh, like I was saying uh, just now, that as much as Seb has to take the uh, the, the blame for the, the mistakes that he made last year, Ferrari have to take uh, their share of the blame as well. And I think that obviously, when you have a guy that's, that's driving for Ferrari, I mean, <laughs> let, let's be fair. I've been critical of the guy, but it's minute compared to the criticism and the 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 what do you want to call it the, the the pressure and the focus that's going to be put on him by the media and the fans in Italy I mean Ferrari is more than just a team it's uh it's basically a way of life for Italian motorsports fans and they all cheer for Ferrari and it's just a, a massive massive thing there so I mean obviously the pressure did get to him at times last year and I was thinking back to a couple of weeks ago there was a story that we talked about here on the podcast about uh, Jackie Stewart three-time world champion saying that 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 uh, Formula One drivers could really benefit from ha- from having coaches, and I thought that was a, a great point because as I was thinking about uh, the, the the problems that Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel had last year, I was thinking, well, how does that work in other sports? We just had the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago, and uh, then I was thinking, okay, well, what is like a similar big pressure situation? So the the first thing that popped into my mind was baseball. So picture the scenario. Game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth inning, two out, bases loaded, full count. You're on the mound. You have, <laughs> you've got the, the the balance of the game and the 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 whole World Series literally in your hand. It's it's going to go one of two ways. You're going to throw that strike, strike the, the the guy out, and then you know go go to the top of the inning, you know, tenth inning, and you go on. Or you're the guy you walk him, he gets a hit, you know whatever it is, they drive in that win or uh, that that winning run, game over. I mean, I could not imagine the pressure that uh, that that a guy would be under in that situation. I mean, you got the entire basically world watching you. I mean, it's being broadcast from you know all four quarters of the globe. I mean, you'll, you'll have like tens of thousands of people in the stadium there watching. I mean, the pressure must be immense. And and, and a good coach and a good manager, somebody's going to walk up to the mound and and just have a word with that guy. And just, because we all know that, that men and women who are elite athletes, we know they have the skills. We know that they can get these things done. And when it comes to getting them done, it is just a question of getting their mind in the right frame, getting focused so they can do what they can do best. And that's perform at these uh, these high levels. And I think, by and large, and quite a few times last year, 
that uh, Sebastian was let down by Ferrari and they could have done a, a better job to really manage him and really keep him focused and support him when he needed it. And obviously it, it almost became like a little bit uh, too predictable at times. It seemed every time he was in a one-on-one battle with some, somebody, it was going to end badly and was going to end uh, badly for, for Sebastian Vettel. So obviously we don't need to dig that up again, but it looks as least that he's gone away over the winter. He's come back and to, to have a day on the first day of testing that he described as nearly perfect, I think is a is a great way for both uh, Sebastian and Ferrari to start the new year. And uh, well, yeah, like I say, I think it's a, it is, I wouldn't say ominous, but I think it's definitely something that uh, Ferrari's rivals are going to want to keep an eye on because if they're focused and they can all be on the same page together and the car is competitive and it's quick and it appears uh, at least in the first couple of days of testing that it is, that uh, they could be the team to beat this year. Of course, we will have to wait and see once things turn serious, in matter of speaking, once they get to Melbourne in a couple of weeks' uh, time, and then once we get into the, the, the races, then we'll know for sure. But positive signs from Ferrari to get uh, to get going. Now, Lewis Hamilton, on the, the other hand, he's bracing for what he's calling Mercedes' most challenging year yet, which... Uh, Honestly, guys, I, I find that's a, a bit of, a, I wouldn't say shocking, but a surprising admission from, from Lewis. I mean, he's, he can be pretty candid and, 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 and forthcoming at times, but uh, he believes that, uh, that their position at the top of Formula One is really under threat. And uh, after admitting that uh, Ferrari looks very, very strong in preseason testing. And of course, I mean, they are the gold standard. They're the ones that have set that benchmark and they've been the team to beat since 2014, since this uh, turbo hybrid V6 era was introduced and they've been dominant is almost a, a bit of an understatement. I mean, they've been untouchable, literally. And it's only been rec- really in the past uh, two years that Ferrari's been more of a, a rival and a competitor to them. And obviously 2017 was even more so. But they really do have... Um, so much going for them. And we've seen over the past couple of years that when they've hit some of these slumps that they just seem to dig in and collectively as a group, just put the work in that needs to be done and they come back and they turn it around. I mean, you go back to Monaco in 2017, they were just not even competitive. They qualified poorly. They were nowhere in the race. They go away for a couple of weeks and they come to Montreal, the Canadian Grand Prix, a couple of weeks later, and they just blow the whole thing up. Uh, Lewis was dominant in, in qualifying in the race. He equaled uh, Senna's pole position record and bro- uh, broke it, I should say. And that was really the turning point uh, that year. Uh, Ferrari still had some wins here and there. And Vettel still had the the opportunity to, to, to challenge for uh, the world championship. But realistically, that was the real turning point to that season, about a third of the way through. And once they got on that roll, they never really looked back. And it, it's amazing to see that w- when they have their challenges that they are able to 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 work it out where other teams seem to struggle mercedes and this is i guess uh, compared to what we we're talking about just now with ferrari is that when they have these uh, these issues that uh, collectively as a group they are able to figure it out and sort it out and and come back and become stronger for it and that to me is a sign of a, of a company of a, of a team that's very well managed has a clear uh, idea of what their goals are and and where they need to be and what they need to to do to accomplish it and then they just work the hell out of it to to get the job done because i, I remember in 2017 after they left monaco they basically said that they worked 24-7 between those two races to, first of all, identify the problems that they had and rectify them and bring the car back to the, to the next race. 
And uh, they did exactly what they needed to do. So to hear Lewis now saying that uh, he's expecting this to be their most challenging year because he's saying that the car feels a lot different to, to the way that it did last year. And I mean, the W09 last year, of course, was a, a very, very good car, which I felt really got better as the season went on. Uh, obviously, Ferrari was stronger with the, I, I'd say, in the in, in the opening uh, half of the season. It wasn't really until Monza that they, and that latter half of the season, the second half of the season, that they, they really swung the momentum in their favor. And once Lewis got a couple of those wins later on in the year, that um, he, he really opened up that gap to Vettel and uh, and, and really put the nail in the coffin uh, and uh, to, to Vettel's t- championship uh, t- uh, bid. And, and that was it. But it, it seems uh, interesting to, to hear that because it's not really a, a familiar statement or something we really expect um, Mercedes or, or Lewis Hamilton uh, to say. But, you know, like I say, if there's anybody out there who can get it sorted out and uh, and take care of it, it's going to be Mercedes. So basically sum this up as watch this space because things pr- can and probably will change pretty soon. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, sticking with Ferrari, they have uh, decided to prioritize Sebastian Vettel over Charles Leclerc in the early races of this season. And that really makes sense. I think that uh, over the past uh, couple of years, uh, one of the issues that they've had is there really hasn't been, I think, a clear enough definition between who is their number one driver and who is the number two driver. It was really with uh, with Vettel and Raikkonen. To me, it always kind of felt like an, a one and a one A, whereas you always knew that um, that uh, in Mercedes, especially with Botas and Hamilton, that that Hamilton's the number one guy and Botas is uh, the, the the number two guy. And uh, of course, we can go back. And we can look at the the Russian Grand Prix last year, where he was given the team orders and told to move over, so Lewis could take that win. As awkward uh, and uh, as uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable as it might have been for Hamilton afterwards, he needed those points to buffer and, and build that uh, that lead in the championship to really uh, you know put some distance between himself and Sebastian Vettel. And they you know he, even Total Wolf said it was a bit of a difficult call to make because you know everybody likes Valtteri there and they want him to win races too, but Lewis is the number one guy and he's always going to get that preferential treatment. And I think that uh, Ferrari coming out and saying that, I think that's uh, exactly what they need to do. I think also what what I was saying just now about uh, managing Sebastian Vettel properly, I think that's going to, at least in the beginning of the season, if um, you know things change and Charles is quicker and he's the one that looks like the the clear championship uh, favorite later on, then fine. Okay, make him the, uh, give him the the benefits uh, or the, the, the priority there. But I mean, Vettel, 
four-time world champion. He's won a bunch of races for you already. He's uh, been able to challenge uh, Lewis Hamilton for races and for the championship. And uh, you, you got to stick with him. He's your boy. You're, you're the guy that you, you got to give him the, the tap on the shoulder and say, you know what, Seb, we're going into the, 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 the season this year. We got your back. Now go out there and do what you need to do. And I think that by giving him that support, again, that that puts an athlete, puts a driver like Sebastian Vettel in the correct headspace and just maybe takes one of those things, maybe if you don't even realize it, maybe even at a, a subconscious level that uh, that you can go out there and just put uh, what you need to do. Of course, I, I mean, Charles Leclerc is uh, really tipped uh, by so many and we've, we've seen it ourselves uh, last year that uh, this guy, this kid really looks like uh, he could be special, has uh, all the the, the qualities uh, to be a top driver in Formula One. I still think it's uh, early days to say, oh, he's a potential f- uh, future world champion. You know, fair enough. But <laughs> I think we should say, you know, stick with what uh, looks obvious. You know, put uh, a fast and uh, quick driver like Charles Leclerc in a good car. Then let's just say for for the moment that he's a, a potential and future Formula One race winner. You know, and if uh, you win enough of those, and obviously the rest will take care of itself. And then you could very well end up uh, being a world champion one day. But uh, in the meantime, you know, he, he's there too. I mean, he's still basically a rookie, still learning. He's not quite in my mind a journeyman just yet. So let, you know, put him in that number two position. Let Seb get the benefit and, and have that clear order. And none of this kind of uh, stuff that we saw last year, like the, uh, the, the way that they were did the, uh, the, the qualifying, the switching up the cars in Q3, which was very costly for Sebastian at the Italian Grand Prix when, uh, you know, you know uh, he got the, or Kimi Raikkonen got the toe at uh, the, the last flying lap in Q3 and uh, set a lap record uh, and took pole position and pushed Sebastian Vettel just a little bit too far down in the grid. And of course, you can have that argument uh, that on that opening lap, should Seb have really stuck his nose in there? And uh, you always knew that Lewis was going to close the door. And if that was the case, it was always going to end badly. The thing is that if uh, they had just uh, let Sebastian, who was still obviously very much in contention for the world championship there prioritize him he's the guy that's uh, potentially going to win the world champion give him the focus give him the priority do everything that it's going to take for him uh, to to put him in that position to get pole position and if he's on pole position do everything you can do to make sure that this guy can can win that race and thereby adding more points that uh, helps stack the odds in his favor a little bit more in winning the world championship and then of course that uh, really helps your your challenge as well for the constructors and uh, I obviously that uh, didn't work well last year but uh, I think if they did that properly then things would be uh, a lot better so you know like I say this is another one uh, to watch the space for because if Charles Leclerc comes out and proves that uh, he's an amazing amazing driver and uh, that that he's a potential world champion right now, then that situation might uh, change. Now, Total Wolf says that uh, that that Ferrari are making a statement. A statement says Toto with this uh, claim about uh, Charles Leclerc and uh, and Sebastian Vettel and uh, and now they're prioritizing uh, the the one over the other. And he says I think it's normal, especially early in the season, if there are particular situations, our priority will be with Sebastian. That's what uh, Matteo Bonato said at uh, the the launch of the the 2019 Ferrari. 
and uh, um, Total Wolf, who's obviously team principal at uh, Ferrari. Sorry, not team principal at Ferrari. Excuse me, team principal at Mercedes. And he said that first of all, Mattia has a tremendous task in front of him, and I believe he wants to do it his own way. Team orders are a very controversial topic. We've discussed it last year, be it within Mercedes or Ferrari, and coming out with it at the beginning of the season is a statement. And I think that's exactly what uh, they they need to do. I've, I've I've put my points out there, and I. I think that um, I think that the the statement from Ferrari is clear. There is a definite pecking order within the team, a hierarchy, chain of command, whatever you want to call it. And I think uh, by doing so, I think that it's uh, they're they're really drawing a line in the sand. I think they're 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 coming out. They've got a car that uh, well, I mean just that it looks great is a uh, I think that's just an added bonus but they're proving so far in in winter testing is a fast car they've come out with uh, Sebastian in uh, in a good place mentally and uh, he's been doing well in in testing and they come out with the statement uh, that he is uh, the, the the number one driver he's getting the priority to start the year so I think they're they're really presenting a unified and a strong front to the rest of the F1 paddock and I think that uh, you know their their rivals are going to have to stand up and take notice for that and I think that's just uh, really especially going to to, to motivate uh, Mercedes even more the, the to, to get their house in order because it looks like Ferrari's going to bring it this year and if that's the case uh, it could really set up uh, some some epic battles and uh, it could make for a, a really really great year so fingers crossed guys that uh, that's exactly how it pans out and 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 that's the way it's going to be and uh, we we will have to just uh, see how it turns out but i think ferrari are doing exactly what they they need to do and just uh, sort of sticking on this uh, theme of uh, Ferrari, e- even Sebastian is just uh, saying himself that uh, that he believes that uh, Charles Leclerc will be a, a genuine title rival in-, in-, in 2019. I mean, we saw last year that uh, Charles Leclerc is legit. He's for real. He's quick and uh, given a good uh, car, a fast car and a reliable car, this guy can do some damage because... In that uh, Sauber last year, although it's much improved on the, uh, the the cars that they've had in recent years, he really didn't have business being uh, in some of the places that he was. I mean, he got that car into Q3 a whole bunch of times, and he was so much faster than his uh, teammate uh, Marcus Ericsson, and not just by a little bit. I mean, he was substantially quicker and was doing a lot more with uh obviously wasn't one of the best cars on the grid it was much improved but uh it, it, it at least the way that i see it wasn't really a competitor to the your ferraris and mercedes and red bulls of the world but still i mean what charles did with that car last year is extremely impressive and i think that that if he can do that with a with a car that isn't one of the the uh the, the title contenders in the in in the paddock, it just makes me salivate a little bit to imagine what can this guy do with a, with a good car. And of course, once he was signed by Ferrari over the uh, at, at the end of last year, we just we all kind of I think collectively kind of sat up and thought, okay, well now Charles is going to have a good car next year or a competitive car, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, he can do with it. But uh, Sebastian Vettel is very right uh, in saying so. I think that. And like I was saying last week, that that's why I think that it is 
really good for Ferrari as a team to have Vettel and uh, and Charles Leclerc because I think that uh, again going back and looking at the the, the partnership and uh, that that uh, Vettel had with um, with Kimi Raikkonen over the past several years it was good they get along uh, pretty good as uh, as drivers you know they seem pretty friendly with each other and of course that that harmony with any uh, within any organization especially a Formula One team is uh, is important but the thing was I think at times maybe it was just a little bit too friendly. Well, maybe that's not so much the point, but I think the thing was that that that, that Sebastian was just that little bit quicker naturally than than than, than Kimi Raikkonen, and I think that uh, Kimi just being Kimi was just going to go in and do what he needed to do in in his own fashion, and you know I think that was it. I think that Seb just needed to just kind of do what he did and not really have to push it much harder because I think that uh, he could just go out there and just stay ahead of Kimi, just uh, doing what he needed to do. Now, if Charles comes in and is much quicker than Kimi Raikkonen was last year and is able to push Sebastian Vettel that much more, then he's going to have to work harder, not only just to to uh, stay in front of his teammates, but to to win races and, of course, keep his number one status within the team. And, of course, this kind of all goes into that discussion uh, we were having at the top of the show, just about managing your drivers properly and the situation properly. Yeah, this is one of those situations that uh, that they're going to have to keep a, a very close eye on, and uh, as as much as it is good to have that uh, that competition within a within a team, as it is in most sports, uh, you, you need people pushing each other because uh, if there's no competition from somebody uh, to take your job away, what what real motivation uh, do you have to, uh, to 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 really improve? I mean, not to say that I would think that Sebastian Vettel or anybody else uh, w- would be slacking at all, but uh, I think that when you have somebody that is uh, of equal capability and talent of you and are able to to replicate uh, or or maybe even better uh the, uh the 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 things that you're able to do then obviously that's just going to 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 motivate you and push you to to newer heights hopefully and uh, and achievements and I think uh, certainly that is definitely one thing that uh, that uh, that Ferrari needs and and Vettel needs I I think he does need somebody to 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 push him uh and and I think that uh, Charles will be that guy and and hopefully you know the Ferrari and, and Sebastian are better for it. I mean, uh, certainly um, Charles seems like a pretty personable uh, guy. He seems like a like a team player, and uh, obviously the last thing that they want at Ferrari is a similar situation that they had at uh, at Mercedes with uh, Nico Rosberg and uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton over that uh, number of years. Uh, you know, as toxic and as bad as it was, but again, that comes into uh, into good management, and that that was obviously a situation at uh, Mercedes that got way out of uh, hand. Uh, a bunch of times and uh, was uh, something that they, um, they they didn't want to to happen. So certainly that's a situation that uh, Ferrari are going to have to monitor very closely. But if uh, if it works out properly, I think that it'll just be beneficial, not just for Sebastian Vettel. I think it'll also be beneficial for Charles Leclerc. And I think uh, uh, just the, the sum of the parts equal the, uh, you know, the, the, the whole of the equation. And uh, that uh, if it's good for the two drivers, then ultimately it's going to be good for the, the team as well. So we're just uh, talking, uh, well, just looking at my notes here, it seems to be uh, all Ferrari this week. <laughs> and of course it is, because they really are the big story coming into this year after the the, the disappointments of 2018. There are so many things that they want to prove and, uh, and really, uh, I, I think, set right. And uh, Sebastian Vettel was saying that uh, any changes or bigger changes at Ferrari would have been madness. And uh, he's basically saying that uh, just uh, the the departure of uh, Maurizio Arriva Bene a couple of weeks ago was 
exactly uh, the, the the right thing to do because he was saying that with Mattia Bonato all there already as the the the, uh, the chief uh, technical guy and and everybody there uh, within the team was already strong very fundamentally they had good drivers and uh, not to say that uh, Arriva Bene didn't uh, had a negative influence or a bad influence on the team but certainly they'd reached that stage that the, they needed to make changes uh, otherwise that uh, they were either going to at least be holding themselves back or uh, possibly even regressing and sometimes uh, that that's all it really takes is just the uh, the w- one or two small subtle changes although maybe not uh, changing the the team principle in a formula 1 team is uh, is is a small change but sometimes that's all it really needs to be is, is something precise something surgical is just uh, changing that one key person is all the difference it's going to make and uh, it, it can really turn the fortunes uh, of an organization around so of course, that is always a big risk in any sport. If you fire a general manager or a coach and and make a, a lot of changes uh, off the field, then you know quite often that can affect what happens on the field or on the court or on the rink, on the ice, whatever the case may be. But uh, so doing that. Re- replacing Arriva Bene with uh, Bonato was a big uh, and and very risky decision in my mind, considering the time of the off season that uh, that that uh, the announcement was made. Because it was just a status quo after the end of last year, going into Christmas and to the New Year, and then all of a sudden there are these uh, rumors coming out that uh, Arriva Bene was. Uh, about to depart imminently from uh, from Ferrari, and then you know within a day or so it's confirmed that he's gone. I mean we're already into the new year, so half of the off season is already over. And uh, to me, you know that seems like a a really strange time to uh, make such a big change like that. I mean we're, we're not just talking about you know the guy that sweeps up in the shop or the coffee lady or <laughs> whoever, right? I mean we're talking about the team principal here. So to do it at that time of the year was a a very risky move in my opinion and we will have to wait and see whether or not that was uh, the the right decision to make and then we'll have to see just not this year but next year because uh, Ferrari you know they could have a, a good year this year in which uh, Arriva Bene and his supporters might say well you know that's uh, great you know Bonato's done a good job but the success that they've had was all as a result of the hard work and all the uh, all the the, the policies uh, that uh, and actions that Maurizio Arriva Bene put into place so you know take it for what it's worth. So I, I guess that question question will probably linger for this year. But uh, if Bonato is the guy that uh, that leads Ferrari next year, and uh, well, <laughs> who's to say? Well, we shouldn't say he probably will be because this is a Ferrari. And, uh, you know, if you fall out of favor, you could be out of a job uh, pretty quickly. So this is an interesting uh, story. This is uh, about Brexit again. So uh, for people in the UK, me being Canadian, I have a basic understanding of uh, what's going on with Brexit and all the potential fallouts and uh, all the things that are going on and all the turmoil surrounding what's going to happen when uh, when uh, Britain leaves the European in, uh, Union uh, in the near future. But uh, Total Wolf uh, says that a Brexit nightmare could give Ferrari an F1 advantage. And uh, of course, if there are a lot of... Uh, deals that have not been made in uh, certain areas like uh, immigration and trade, then that's really going to put a lot of, uh, could potentially put a lot of barriers in place for the the seven out of the 10 teams that are based uh, in England. Because I mean, England and Silverstone in particular is is basically that Silicon Valley of of, uh, Formula One. And uh, so with all those teams based there, and uh, there's any problems with everything now, as it is with the agreements that all uh, the 
the countries have within the European Union make things a lot more mobile and fluid. And if those uh, deals aren't renegotiated or something similar put into, in, into place, that could really hurt uh, the, the teams that are based in the UK. So uh, the, the teams that aren't, of course, are Ferrari, Toro Rosso, and, uh, and Alfa Romeo that are all uh, based in Europe. And uh, <clears throat> it could really, really be a problem. So uh, you look uh, here that uh, um, Mercedes, for example, employ over a thousand people in the two factories that they have in the UK. And it is uh, what uh, Total Wolf is saying, a major concern and a major concern for all the people that uh, that live in the UK and operate out of the United Kingdom. And uh, of course, if you don't have those uh, those deals and and things all uh, set up properly, he reminds uh, people that these are uh, teams that travel to to races twenty one times a year. Well, maybe maybe just twenty. If you <laughs> obviously if within the UK, then going to the the, the British Grand Prix at Silverstone doesn't uh, really uh, really count. Um, but you know, when they're they're going outside of the uh, UK, you know, their people have to get there. They get to get parts and service and. And any disruption with with borders and taxes and anything like that uh, could really, really be uh, detrimental to the um, the Formula One industry in in the UK. So um, Toto says, "quote Our team is an international team, a German brand that has its F1 operations in the United Kingdom." And I think we will have around 15 to 20 different nationalities in our team and many EU citizens and uncertainty at the moment at whether the industry will be impacted by no deal Brexit or a Brexit. That is damaging to what is me, one of the outstanding industries in the UK. We have said it before that this is the mother of all messes. And he go, finally, he goes on to say, we are looking at th- through the various scenarios with Mercedes-Benz UK because it not only impacts Formula One, it also affects the mother brand in terms of getting cars and parts in and out of the country. So uh, again, that's, um, you know, obviously a, a very concerning uh, situation and uh, we'll have, just have to wait and see what happens because um, it, it is, I, honestly, I can't really compre- comprehend, comprehend like what's going on there because I just see it in the news. I read it uh, when I'm uh, you know, looking at news on my phone or uh, reading about it wherever. So I really only have a, a very uh, shallow in, uh, you know, uh, knowledge of the situation, but, uh, certainly there are a, a lot of, uh, potential things that, uh, could be detrimental to, um, all aspects of uh, society. And, uh, of course, uh, formula one as well. So let's just talk a, a little bit more now about, uh, some of the, 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 the teams and the winter testing. And I want to talk for the next little while about, uh, Williams. And this is just, really makes me shake my head. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, uh, this is being recorded in the uh, the, the twilight of uh, February 20th, which means that today was the first day that the, the Williams FW42 took to the track for the very first time in uh, winter s- uh, testing this year, which is mind-blowing because they were getting ready to ship the car out uh, to, to get to Barcelona uh, for Monday, and uh, they found out at the very last minute there were problems with some of the parts and God only knows what. So they missed the first two and a half days of of, uh, testing they didn't get there till uh till till wednesday had some things to do so the car didn't actually get to to take to the track until uh wednesday afternoon minus some very important parts and uh for for the aerodynamics that are going to come at some point later in the week 
And uh, this, uh, to me, is uh, is is unacceptable uh, for a team that is in Formula One. And uh, the the way that uh, Deputy Team Principal Claire Williams is uh, talking about it, it's uh, was an unexpected and unforeseen circumstance uh, that's undisclosed, and uh, they're they're not going to divulge that uh, publicly. Uh, which uh, just kind of again makes it uh, just look optically from from the outside uh, all that much more worse. You know, I suppose if they don't want to uh, to make it known publicly because it might uh, give away something to their competitors, then sure, that's their prerogative. Whatever, uh, you know, I, I think that's fair enough. But just in in general, the situation that uh, you're running a team, uh, you know. You're you're in the Formula One World Championship. The other nine teams, your your competitors are all ready to go. They're all ready to get the cars out on the track and and, and put some rubber down and and start getting some times going. And you're still running around the uh, the factory like a chicken with its head cut off because you can't get your own act together. And this, to me, for a team that has won multiple drivers and constructors world championships, is absolutely mind blowing, and it's it's an absolute embarrassment. And, and Claire Williams herself said that uh, that that very much as well. And something's got to happen there. And we've we've already seen Ross Smedley leave the team uh, not so long ago. Uh, Ross was previously with uh, with with Ferrari. He's been with uh, Williams the last couple of years. He's out of the picture now, um, and so it kind of makes me wonder who are the other people, especially at, at the top, because that ultimately is the is, is the level that you're looking at the the, the people that you've appointed to run the team and, and get this team back to respectability after. <clears throat> Excuse me, falling off the uh, the edge of the cliff so quickly over the past couple of years is just an absolute uh, head scratcher and an absolute mind blower. So they they really need to take a long hard look at themselves. And I mean, uh, Claire has uh, said that many times over the, the the previous couple of months that they they need to examine themselves and what they're doing and how they do business. And, and sure, fair enough. But at the end of the day, what what does that mean? What what does that look like in, in reality? Is it uh, just trying to identify some deficiencies and inefficiencies within the, uh, the the company within the team to improve, or is it is it a bit of bigger question? Is it is it the people that are running the team are they doing what they need to do to get the job done? Because ultimately, that's where the bugs stop. If you're if you're one of the senior management, you're getting the big bucks. You're the one that's responsible for whatever part of the, the your your piece of the pie. So if if you're not being able to del- uh, to deliver. What is the alternative? Do you know, do you keep kind of plodding along and, and and just hope that at some point everybody's going to figure it out and everybody's going to get on the same page and you're going to get it sorted out? Well, that would be nice, <laughs> you know, but I don't know uh, how realistic that is. Uh, and and I kind of wonder, you know, like how long is uh, Sir Frank going to put up with that? I mean, last year we didn't see him around very much, if at all, in, in the paddock. I mean, he's sort of been slow slowing down uh, for for quite a while over the years. But uh, last year there was basically no Frank Williams around the entire year, which seemed very very odd considering it's been his team and he's been running it for for some forty odd years. That all of a sudden, you know, well, I mean, he's obviously getting up there in years himself, but. Uh, and obviously wants to enjoy a bit of retirement and enjoy a bit of uh, time away from racing at uh, the age that he's at. But still, 
you have to think that even if uh, he's not in the picture, that uh, you you'd be damn sure that uh, and know that he knows exactly what's going on there, and I'm pretty sure that he still has the the the, the final say. Because what I find amazing is is that um, after they went through all that effort to get Patty Lowe there uh, the the other year after he was uh, leaving uh, Mercedes, and I thought at the time that was quite the coup. Get one of these guys that's uh, one of the one of the big dogs at Mercedes, and and obviously a very key guy to the success that they've been having, and you get to convince him to come over and take a role and uh, I, I mean he's got a pretty sweet deal there I can't remember all the exact uh, perks and everything that he has but I mean being the technical uh, director of the team I mean basically that's where the buck stops and I'm starting to wonder now if uh, you, you know how I mean he's obviously an, accom- uh, an accomplished engineer but uh, you know it just it, it's amazing to me that that uh, that that Williams um, fortunes continued to de- to decline and so drastically after he joined the team because he's been there for a couple of years now I would have expected uh, very much you know he, he he's a guy a senior guy lots of experience and knowledge in Formula One and I guess uh, I maybe unfairly I always use Ross Braun as the as the benchmark as the measuring point uh, for success for a team principal or or somebody high up in Formula One and Ross if you go and look at read his uh, book that came out uh, about a year ago, Total Competition. He talks about uh, running a team and, and taking a team back and making it competitive again. And he always talked about it was basically a three-year pro, uh, process. Basically, the first year you come in, you see what's going on, you assess it, uh, and, and you learn what's going on with the with, with the team and, and what needs to be improved in the the areas that need uh, that, that are struggling and need to be strengthened. So the second year, you take everything that you learned in the first year, and you, you come up with the solutions and you start implementing those uh, solutions so you can start moving forward. And then by the third year, in theory that's when you're supposed to really be seeing like the the real big concrete improvements in performance and uh and, and really start uh, you know getting some reward for all the, the the hard work that you put in over the previous uh, couple of years to uh, to identify the issues that the team had and then uh, reverse those with newer and, and better standards and policies and, and practices so i mean very simply put that's uh, that that's a great way but you know if if you just uh, look now <laughs> At, uh, at at the way that Williams is struggling, I mean, they they really to me have that uh, that appearance of a, a chicken running with their their head cut off, and uh, you know maybe that's a little bit unfair. I mean, looking from the outside and the the, the very limited uh, perspective that that I have, and of course my opinion is uh, just uh, based on my observations. I don't know anything on the, on the inside, but and that's the danger too. Like uh, when you have a team that's struggling, and then they show up uh, to the the, the winter testing session late without all the parts that they need for the car and uh the, after having the, the the couple of seasons that they've had poor seasons uh might I add uh, that it really does not come across uh, you know very good for them it's it's definitely not a good look for them and uh, it just makes me wonder that as they continue to uh, struggle how long is it going to be before we see some of uh, the, the 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 top dogs at Williams uh, starting to pay for the uh, the the problems that uh, they've uh, had over the past uh, couple of years, and uh, well, I mean, I guess if when, when it gets going and you know the the FW forty two turns out to be a good car and they can go out there and be competitive, then of course everything else will be moot. But still, at the at this point in time, definitely not a good look for Williams. 
All right, so time to start uh, slowly shutting this thing down uh, for this week. I mean, we're going to stick with uh, with winter uh, w- winter testing. And the Iceman, Kimi Raikkonen, has said that Alfa Romeo has made a big step since 2018. Of course, he got to, to test last year's car at the end of uh, last year's uh, Formula One season in Abu Dhabi. And uh, obviously, uh, he seems impressed. I'm not exactly sure the words that Kimmy used to uh, to really uh, exp- uh, describe this big step. Knowing him, uh, it probably wasn't very much and very informative, other than uh, just basically uh, expressing himself in the least amount of words uh, possible. But still, that's uh, very promising to, to to see what Alfa Romeo is uh, is doing, and uh, and obviously when you have uh, a car company as big as them and has uh, the experience that they have in Formula One that but have been away for almost thirty years out of the sports, uh, you know that uh, that's a big deal for them to come back. But uh, obviously, last year, and I, I still maintain that I don't think it's any coincidence that uh, since Frederick Vassar came on as team principal uh, after you replaced uh, Manisha Kaltenborn about a year and a half ago that uh, I don't think there's any uh, coincidence that uh, the, the team has gotten better and, and gotten uh, stronger since Vassura uh, took over as team principal. I mean, uh, last year was a really refreshing to, to see them uh, much more competitive and, and reliable. I know that uh, Le- uh, Charles Leclerc was obviously a little bit... Uh, a little bit less competitive. He had his struggles in the last uh, third of the season compared to the, uh, the the first half or the first uh, first two thirds of the year. And uh, well, I mean, Formula One, of course, twenty one races going from March until the uh, the end of November is a very long and and, and difficult season. But uh, still, it, it was uh, it was good to to see them uh, basically have a good year. And uh, I, I think that uh, they saw the benefit of having, you know, a well-designed car that had a current spec engine compared to the previous one that had a, a 2016 engine in the back of that car in 2017. And that engine just was not designed to um, to run with that chassis with those uh, uh, new regulations that came in last year for 2017. It just uh, didn't work. But, you know, they, they've made some some big statements that they're, they're not looking at other teams that are in the midfield to, to be their bench. Mark or to, to be their goal, their their goal to what they're aiming to, towards, and Vesser has said that they're they're basically looking at the front of the, the the grid that their references are the Ferraris, Red Bulls, Mercedes, all those top teams, and I, I think that's the way that you got to approach it. If you want to be the best, you have to beat the best, and uh, by doing that, you have to do what they do. And so if they, he can see and and learn uh, something from from uh, Red Bull and Ferrari and Mercedes and what they've been doing to to win races, and he can apply that to what they've uh, done at to Sauber and now it's uh, Alfa Romeo, then I think that's a, a very, very wise policy. And uh, obviously, uh, Kimi Raikkonen is uh, noticing the difference in the car for, from this year. And uh, I mean, when he says it's a, it's a very positive start to preseason testing. So it, uh, of course, you know, we we got to put an asterisk uh, beside that because we we haven't seen them in, in a race situation. So I mean, put them up against other cars that are going to be in that sort of uh, theoretically, at any rate, uh, that similar competitive. Um, Zone, if you want to call it that, and uh, that would be your uh, Renaults, uh, your um, your Red, uh, sorry, Torosos, and cars like that. So uh, there's definitely, I think, uh, plenty to be positive uh, for uh, Alfa Romeo, and I think uh, certainly if uh, they've got it right, and uh, you know you've got uh, Kimi Raikkonen there this year, and then uh, Antonio Giovinazzi who says you know he can learn a lot from Raikkonen, and and obviously he should be, that they could have a, a very decent season as well. 
Now, uh, just uh, sticking with uh, with uh, some of the other teams, there is a little bit of news from uh, uh, Red Bull Honda and Max Verstappen. It says he's uh, very happy with how uh, Red Bull and Honda have started working together in, in Formula One. And he's described it as a very focused and calm. Of course, they haven't really been setting any amazing lap times or, or had really anything too uh, impressive compared to some of the, uh, the, the teams uh, like Ferrari and Toro Rosso that have set the top times. But still, this is kind of the uh, getting to know you phase uh, between uh, Red Bull and Honda. I mean, up until now, it's all been uh, kind of theoretical, but now they're actually seeing how that chassis goes with that engine and with the, that uh, that gearbox and how the whole package is uh, is going together. So obviously, I think they're, they're going to be uh, fairly co- conservative uh, about things, take it one step at a time, and make sure that uh, what they're doing is working rather than just kind of running, I wouldn't say blindly, but uh, definitely uh, running a little bit uh, too fast or, or running before you can walk. And I think uh, that if, uh, if, if they take care and they do things properly, that, uh, that it shouldn't be too long uh, before Red Bull and Honda, sorry, yeah, Red Bull and Honda um, become a competitive uh, package. And th- their goal for this year was to, to at least keep Red Bull in the same position that they were last year. So still basically the, the, the best of the rest, but if they can find a way to help them win some uh, races, then that would be great. But I think certainly if you're Max Verstappen and Pierre Gasly, or if you're a fan of Red Bull racing or one of those two drivers, I think maybe that this this is the year to um, to temper expectations. I'm not saying that you should write this season off, but I'm just kind of thinking, you know, be be realistic, have realistic expectations for your guys, for your team. And uh, if you can be realistic uh, with those results and uh, they, they overperform and, and do better than what's expected, then that's just a, a bonus. And, and uh, the, the, the potential is there because uh, we, we know that uh, Adrian Newey is going to design a good car. It sounds like Honda is finally starting to get things uh, together after all the years of struggles uh, with, um, you know, with, with uh, McLaren and uh, well, it, it would be great to see Honda back again at their, 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 I guess their previous, um, lofty heights, you know, cause they, they of course, uh, were very, very strong in the eighties and nineties with, uh, teams like McLaren and Lotus and, uh, and Williams. So it would, uh, it would be good. I think for not only for Honda, but also for the sport, if they could uh, turn it around and, uh, be a, com- a competitive engine supplier once again. Okay, so now just a a couple of business items from Formula One just to to close out the show for this uh, week. And the FIA has issued an invitation to tender for a common Formula One gearbox cassette that is to be used between 2021 and uh, 2024. And uh, the governing body wants uh, all the teams to share common internals but have their own team-specific gearbox casings on which the the suspension is hung. And I guess this is uh, probably one of those uh, cost-cutting measures that uh, that they want to have in Formula One. And I understand that, and and, and I I think it's a it's a good idea to have some. I think standardized parts in Formula One. I think like a, a lot of them were like brake discs and pads and stuff like that. Uh, would be a would be a good way to go. But as far as I am for the standardization of uh, of certain parts within Formula One, I don't want it to be too much. I don't want it to have too many parts that are standardized on the car because, of course, you still have to put uh, more of the onus on the, the the teams and the responsibility on them to design and build good cars and good parts. And all those things, because I think that's part of what Formula One is. It's not just going out there and and being the fastest car. It's also the design and the development and the engineering part. 
part of it. I think that's all part of what makes Formula One, Formula One. And uh, so whatever they do, be it gearboxes, brakes, whatever, just don't go overboard on that. And then finally, uh, Sergio Perez really fears uh, for the future of the, uh, the the Mexican Grand Prix, and uh, he says it's not looking good. And uh, he he thinks that if uh, they should lose their race, which uh, they're they're out of contract after this year, uh, that it could be decades again before Formula One returns to his uh, home country. And of course, uh, it, it's been. Uh, well, it was almost, it was a good 20, 25 years um, uh, between the last uh, uh, Mexican Grand Prix in the early 90s, I believe it was, until the uh, the, the most uh, recent uh, revived one a couple of years ago. So, I mean, they really did uh, disappear from the uh, from the radar there in Formula One. And and basically what's going on is that uh, the, 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 the government has said that they're not going to subsidize the event anymore. I believe the uh, the subsidy that they've been receiving is somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, 16 million pounds. But uh, basically, the government wants to to keep that money, and they said uh, that they're going to look in to see how the uh, the contract with Formula One is structured. But uh, they want to to keep that money and put it towards this new uh, rail link that they want to build. It's something like a I mean, it's going to be a multi million dollar project, and it's uh, going to be hundreds, if not uh, a thousand uh, miles uh, long between. Uh, I can't remember where it starts, but it basically goes to to to, to Cancun, and uh, yeah, so it's something like a thousand miles. And uh, so they they'd rather use those uh, the, those government funds uh, for infrastructure rather than than Formula One. But hopefully, they can sort something else. I, I mean, the the circuit it's okay. I mean, it's it's not the greatest, but I mean, certainly that uh, very long start finish straight is is pretty cool. And that stadium section at the end where they go through the old grandstand uh, with the the, uh, the old baseball. Um, uh, stadium was there is is pretty cool as well. So hopefully they can get something worked out. It would be nice to to see them uh, stay on the calendar, but ultimately it does kind of come down to a question of money. And over the years, we've seen obviously drivers leave and, and, uh, and teams and races and uh, Mexico could uh, also be a victim of that this year. Anyways, hope not. And I uh, hope they can get something uh, sorted out, but uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and see what uh, develops over the, the coming days, weeks and months. And hopefully they can, uh, they can get it sorted out because they were one of the teams that didn't join in that uh, statement that was put out by the uh, Formula One Promoters Association a couple of weeks ago that was critical of the way that uh, Liberty Media is uh, running Formula One. So certainly I hope they can then get it sorted out. Anyways, that's a good place to leave the show for this week. Thank you so very much uh, for listening. Thank you for downloading. Uh, the migration to the uh, the new provider seems to have worked out uh, good. I've been looking at the download stats and it doesn't look like we've uh, lost anyone. The numbers are staying consistent. I haven't heard any uh, uh, bad news uh, from, from anyone, but I suppose if uh, this podcast just stopped showing up in your feed one day that maybe some people just wouldn't notice that. So... <laughs> hopefully if there's anyone like that they, they come back but at least it sounds like that uh, everything has gone smoothly and nobody's had too many problems anyways that's a wrap thank you very much for listening if you want to get in touch easiest way is on twitter at scuderia f1 pod or email me at scuderia f1 pod at gmail.com that's it that's a wrap we'll talk to you guys again this time next week Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.